Alright, so we're in a series called Battle Ready. We're talking about various battles in the Bible. Um, there's so many battles in the Old Testament. The children of Israel fight people all the time. It seems like people come and fight them. And so what can we learn from all of that? It's not just uh, learning strategic uh, strategies of how to conquer enemies. Uh, if you have military backgrounds, people find the battles interesting in that way. But we're looking at principles in these battles that can help our lives as we live them. And so I'll just recap briefly what we've been through so far. And if you want to, if you care to, you could get on your iPhone and go on the podcast app and you could download these messages. You could listen to them while you work out, uh, while you mow your grass, whatever you do. Um, but you probably, uh, you could do that. You get online, you could look them up if you want to. Um, that's just a shameless plug for the previous two messages or anything else we've been talking about here on Sundays. Um, so you can look it up. Journey Church is on there um, or our website. But we talked about week one, Abraham and Lot. This is the first battle. Lot encounters a battle. Abraham encounters a battle. This is in Genesis 14, first battle of the Bible. And so we looked at how uh, Lot um, made a decision in his life to uh, link up with people that were going to lead him the wrong way. And this is very relevant. I don't know if you've ever done that or you've seen somebody do that. But if you link up with the wrong people, you get into a bad situation. So that's where that message kind of went. And Lot... It says he pitched his tents toward Sodom. You like that? I did that for you. Um, and so uh, he did that. And uh, what happened was he moved closer and closer, and he ended up living in Sodom. And he experienced the uh, wrath that was, God was pouring out on Sodom. And he had a chance in his life to pivot, to turn, to go in a new direction. And he didn't choose to do that. And so I, I encourage you, if you hadn't, weren't here for that, maybe check that out. That's pretty relevant to each one of us. Last week we looked at Moses... And Joshua, Aaron, and a dude named Hur. When dudes are named Hur, that's interesting, too. So look that one up. Um, and so they were fighting the Amalekites and the people. This is the first battle of the children of Israel as they left in Exodus and left Egypt. And so we looked at that, how we can win together. In the battles in life, you don't want to try to attack them all on your own because you need a, a, a group of people around you, surrounding you to lift up your arms. Moses needed some people to lift up his arms when he grew, grew weary in that battle. And so uh, we talked about that last week. But this week we're going to look at um, our text. It's going to be uh, 2 Chronicles 20. 20. Yeah, it's 20. Like, come on, you got this. Uh, 2 Chronicles 20 is where we're going to be. But let me give you some background. Um, let me give you some background because some of you may not be Bible scholars. And um, I'm, maybe you are. Anybody here a Bible scholar? Anybody? All right, nobody wants to admit to that because I'll start asking you a lot of questions during the sermon and you have to prove it. But um, you may not be a Bible scholar, but some of you may have read the Bible quite a bit, so you know a little bit about this, and some of you may not. So let me give you a little background of where we're going because we're going to fast forward from Moses and all of that. We're, we're fast forwarding to Chronicles, which is later on in history. And so at this point, the children of Israel had become a kingdom. Um, David was the first Real, well, yeah, Saul, but David was the king. Saul was the first king, David was the second. And then David's son, Solomon, was a great king, so everything was going good. But his Solomon's son, Rehoboam, uh, made some stupid decisions, and the kingdom split. And so now there's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. So the, the northern kingdom um, is, is called Israel, and the southern kingdom they call it Judah. And the southern kingdom is the city of Jerusalem. And so throughout, when you read the, the books of Kings and Chronicles, there's two, you'll read about this king, that king, but there's a northern king and a southern king, Israel, Judah. And so at this point, these two kingdoms, the northern kingdom um, was 
generally a godless kingdom. They did not seek after the Lord. They kind of went their own way and did whatever they wanted. They followed idols, and that was kind of what they decided to do. You read about the prophets Elijah, Elisha. These were prophets to the northern kingdom. You think of King Ahab. You might have heard of this guy. He was a northern, he was king of Israel. Wicked guy, Jezebel's wife. Um, and so in Judah, there at this point we're picking up, there's a guy named, uh, current king is Jehoshaphat. And I have to say that name over and over today because that's who we're talking about. So just help me. So Jehoshaphat, you know, that's, that's becoming a more popular baby name, by the way. Wait, I don't think so. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Not really. Um, that's probably not ever going to happen. Um, but if you chose to name your kid Jehoshaphat, he's fat with a PH. He really is. So that's good. Um, my jokes are, are struggling this morning. They're, I'll get them. All right. So I'll, I'll, just warming up. Just warming up here. All right, so Jehoshaphat is the king. He's the king of the southern kingdom at this point. I want to give you some background on this guy. His dad's name was Asa, much easier name to pronounce, A-S-A, okay? And so King Asa ruled for 41 years, was considered a godly king. Jehoshaphat was considered a godly king. They were, they were considered godly kings. But even in our lives, we, we can be followers of Jesus. We're Christians. I believe in God. I'm following Jesus. But even in our lives, there's areas where we need to grow. There's areas where we are not there yet. There's areas that are incomplete, that we need the Lord to work on us. And so same with these guys that are considered godly kings. They have some issues in their life, too. Even in the Bible, it says he was a godly king, however. And so even list, he didn't do this very well. And so uh, Asa was a godly king, but he had some issues. And I want to point to this in his life. And, and you can go back and read this. In 2 Chronicles 16... He had a serious flaw, it's pointed out twice in this chapter, where he depended on himself instead of depending on God. It was one of his biggest flaws. He depended on himself instead of depending on God. He believed in God, he worshipped God, but he depended on himself. When he faced difficulty in his life, what did he do? He didn't pray, he didn't seek God, he said, you know what, I got this. I got this. This is mine, I got this. And so in two instances, one... Um, in 2 Chronicles uh, 16, 1-3, uh, when an uh, enemy comes against him, the, the Aram, all right, they're coming against him, they're going to, uh, like so often, we're going to come defeat you. We're going to destroy you. And, and rather than praying, God, what do you want me to do? How should I approach this? He decides uh, that he's going to empty the treasury of the temple and the treasury of the palace, and he's going to just empty himself, everything, and become poor so that he can avert this disaster. So I'm going to give up all of everything we got just so that we, you guys won't fight us. And in a way, it kind of works to a degree. But you know what? It, it robs the people of their wealth, and they become poor. And so he, that was his solution. I'll just give them everything, and then I'll survive. Some people do that in life. You can, I, I don't have time. We've got eight points we've got to get to. So I have time to stay here. But sometimes we give so much of ourselves in, in situations rather than trusting God. We empty ourselves for no reason when God will be there to help us. We give up everything in our, our lives, and we fail to trust God. The other thing is, at the end of his life, in 2 Chronicles 16, 12, and 13, he has a serious illness, it says. We don't know what it is. He got the flu. He got mono. We don't know what he got. But it was serious at that time. And he has this illness for two years. Two years. I don't know if you've ever been sick for two years. Uh, some people get cancer. They're sick for years and years. We don't know what he had. But this guy was, was sick, and it, it points out he never, ever prayed. And asked for help. He, he said he only sought the treatment of the doctors, which is not wrong. You know, if you got doctors, go to doctors, go to doctors. But he never prayed. 
He never asked God for help. And he died of his illness. And this is what he was remembered for. He was a believer in God, but he never relied on God. So I'm wondering if that can frame what we're talking about today as we face battles. Are you a believer in God, but do you rely on God? You believe in him. You have faith. Oh, yes, I believe in Jesus. But do you rely on him in your life? Do you actually put the things in your life into his hands? So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to step into the story today. And Asa's son, Jehoshaphat, looks like he operates in a similar fashion. Sometimes we reflect. Unfortunately, I got four kids. Not, that's not unfortunate. But unfortunately, sometimes our kids mimic some of our patterns in our life. I've noticed this. You know? And so it's scary as a parent to parent children because they look at you all the time. They're like, whoa, I saw you do that. Like, oh, you can't say that. that that's not good. Don't say that. You didn't see me doing it. You know, but we have flaws, and our kids will mimic that. And I believe Jehoshaphat possibly learned some things from his dad, some good and some bad. And so what he did, um, it says in 2 Chronicles 18, uh, Jehoshaphat operated in a similar fashion in that um, he gets an alliance with King Ahab of the north, Israel. You following me here? All right, I'll just make sure, because there's a lot of people, a lot of names. I'm looking at you, David. If you follow me, I know everybody If you follow me, I know, yeah. Everybody's good. David's here, and we're good. Um, so, the king of the north, Ahab, Jehoshaphat, season, you know, he's, there will be battling each other all the time, civil war. I'm just going to make an alliance with him. I don't have to ask God what he wants me to do. And so he gets into this situation. You can read about this story, where he goes to battle with him. Like, oh, we'll just be on the same side. And they get in a war, and, and Ahab basically sells out Jehoshaphat. You ever been sold out by somebody? Snitched behind your back? And he's like, you know what, guess what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear, like, no kingly robes. I'm going to hide, pretend I'm wearing a mask. Nobody wants to know who I am. And you go out in your royal robes, and you do that. Well, that's really brilliant, because they're going to target the king. So they targeted Jehoshaphat. Nobody knew where Ahab was. And Jehoshaphat finds himself surrounded by the enemy. He got into a situation. He allied himself with somebody that didn't want have any of his interests in mind. And just wanted him to be destroyed, and then he had to call on God. So in this situation, this battle, Ahab's over here. Nobody knows who Ahab is. Everybody's targeting Jehoshaphat. He calls on God. God comes and delivers him, and then randomly, it says, an arrow comes and strikes between the armor of Ahab, and he is actually killed in that battle. Just randomly, right? Just randomly, but not so much because we can't run away from uh, things even in our own power. So it's interesting. So he, this is his first moment for Jehoshaphat to really call on God. He gets himself surrounded, gets himself in a tough situation. But instead of like his dad saying, oh, I can figure this out, I'm going to call on God. So all that leads us up to where we're going to be today. And I promise you, I'll go through this. We will learn things. We will uh, do that, but we will not stay here forever. So um, he's learning to do things different than his father. It's not just about um, believing in God. It's about trusting him with your everyday life. I want, I want that to be driven home in our minds today. Uh, <laughs> thank you for the notes. <laughs> my daughter left me a little sticky note in my sermon. And uh, it's cute, but it's a joke, actually. So it's not encouragement. It's just to make me laugh. Um, so here we go. Let's go with our points. We're going to look at this story. Second Chronicles 20, and I'm going to work through it in eight points. And I have to say, thank, thank you, Drell. You weren't going to take notes anyway. That's I am. I'll put it on my phone. You're the best. All right, so number one, he encountered a problem. And I have to say... Uh, as I was studying, I came across some, some really cool alliteration here. I can't claim this. Uh, I, I, you know, I kind of contributed some of this, but I kind of pulled some. So I won't be honest. I didn't come up with all this because this is too darn fancy for me. I can't do this in my own. So he encountered a problem. He encountered a problem. Second Chronicles 20, 
verses 1 and 2 says this. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Munites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. That is the Ardean Hazion Tamar. That is the Engedi. All right, so here it is. A vast, vast army is now coming against Israel. Somebody comes and tells Jehoshaphat, we have a problem. You ever had a problem in your life? We have all sorts of problems in our lives. Every day there's a problem. But there are different uh, weights. Uh, I bought my daughter a car recently. Uh, she's driving. Watch out, okay? So she's driving. No, she's doing a good job. Um, but when I bought the car, guess what? It wasn't perfect because it wasn't brand new. So I had to take it to the shop. But I like, guess what? This is, this is this. This is that. Some of these problems, we need to fix them now. Some of these problems are not that big of a deal. We all have problems in our lives. Some problems are... are nagging huge right in front of our face. Some problems are not a big deal. And not every problem in your life, say you have a problem, you can't decide which shirt to put on this morning. Jenna was struggling. Which shirt do I wear today? I don't know. This is a problem. That's not a problem you have to pray about. You can just pick a shirt. It's okay. God doesn't care. Wear a shirt. But there's problems in our life that we have to then realize this is, this is huge. This is more than I can deal with. And so this problem came to Jehoshaphat, and he realized this is more uh, than I can bear. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Guess what? If you're following Jesus, you're going to have trouble. Life is not going to be perfect. You're going to have problems in your life. Uh, following the Lord, being a Christian is not a, a solution to, not, to having problems. Like, if I just pray and ask God, and I'll never have a problem again. That's not true. In this world, you have trouble, but when we face trouble, we have a different way, a different path forward. So, number one, he encountered a problem. Number two, he established a new procedure. He established a new procedure. This is in verses 3 and 4. He said, Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So he established a new procedure. Instead of just saying, okay, well, how much money do we have in the temple? How much, you know, so my dad did that work. Um, you know, do we have anything else? Can we buy these people off? What, what, you know, can we ally with some other people? Can I call Ahab up? Well, he's dead. Maybe somebody else. Um, what can I do? Uh, how can I solve this on my own? He established a new procedure in his life when the problem came to say, you know what? I can't do this. I need God. And so he called a fast. He called everybody in all the towns. They don't normally do this. And they left and they said, you know what? What we're going to focus on now is seeking God and his solution for this problem. That's what we're going to do. Uh, we all have certain approaches and patterns in our life and, and, and habits that we fall into. We all have things. When we face problems, what is your gut reaction? What is your instinctive thing to do? They talk about a fight or a flight. Some people are fighters. When they face a tough problem, they're like, I'm going to fight my way through this. Some people are flight. They say they face a problem and they just want to avoid it and run away. We all have instinctual reactions to problems in our lives. But God is calling us to do something different, not just fight, not just fight, but to bring our issues to him and see what he would say. I don't know in our habits and routines, maybe in our responses in relationships, um, you know, dating relationships, people have certain habits that they go through and, and, and they go from one relationship to the next relationship and over and over. And they, they keep finding themselves in the same problem over and over. And somebody said that the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. Sometimes we, we fall into these habits and patterns in our life and we, we, we have to establish a new procedure. If you keep doing the same thing, you're going to get the same result. If you keep approaching the problem the same way, you're probably going to end up where you always end up. 
So we have to switch it up. We have to ask God to give us a new approach, a new way to, to go about it. And God would say, you know, bring it to me. Bring it to me. Your problems, bring it to me. So that's what they did. They established a new procedure. Number three, he examined his past. This is in verses 5 to 7. It said, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms and the nations, power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? What is he doing here? He's remembering what God has done. When you face a problem today, guess what? That's not the first problem that God's ever dealt with. Right? Your issue you're facing today is not the first thing that God has ever helped somebody with. There's a whole history. And even in your own life, I don't know how long you've been serving God. Maybe it's been just, maybe you're brand new to this. Maybe you, 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 you come in today and you don't even have a relationship with him. But guess what? The problems you're facing, God has dealt with problems like that and things greater than that for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Helping people, human beings, with their issues. God is not new to this. And so he remembers, mm, in the past, what has God done? Didn't you help us before? Didn't you help us in these situations before, previous situations? Didn't you come through in the clutch? We remember in our lives, maybe you've been, you've been uh, serving the Lord. You remember in your life, man, when I was going through that situation, maybe it was years ago, but God came through. And we have a tendency to forget. We have a tendency to, to kind of lose sight of those things. But it's important to examine our past. Who is God? What has he done? What has he done for me? What has he done for others? The Bible says, Romans 8, 28, for God works all things together for the good for those who love him and called according to his purpose. Right? And sometimes we can't see that in the moment. God, how are you working this together for the good? I don't even know. This looks terrible. But when we look back and remember the past, we can see, God, you worked this out. This was a horrible situation, but you worked it out for the good. I got so many examples that I don't have time to share with you this morning in my own life, and I'm sure you have yours, where God's come through and you were like, I never want to go through that, but God worked it together for the good. And I wouldn't have known it in the moment, but looking back, I can see his faithfulness. So we got to examine our past. When we're going through a problem right now, look back in the past and, and, think, and, and see where God has shown up in your life. Number four, he embraced the promise. He embraced the promise. Second Chronicles 8, 28 and 11 says, they all lived in the land. He continues to talk. They all lived in it and have built the sanctuary for your name, saying, if a calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or ju of judgment or plague or famine, we will, stand, uh, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whose territory you will not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they were repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as inheritance. So now, not only does he look at the past, he remembers the promises of God. God, you promised to be with us. You promised to say, if we stand in this place and we cry out to you, that you will show up and you will help. That's what you told us. So we're standing on the promises of God. What are some of God's promises for us today? He says in the, in the word, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Hebrews 13.5 and, and several other places. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That's a promise. God's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. Oh, man, I made some mistakes. I screwed up my sin. Well, God will never leave you or forsake you. Our sin cannot separate us. If we turn and, and, and we give it to him, he'll forgive us. The Bible says 
He is faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us of all unrighteousness. We confess with our mouth and we confess our sin. Isaiah 40, 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. He'll give you strength when you're weary. He'll increase the power of the weak. You can't make it through the week. You're like, man, I, I'm struggling. i got so much going on. God will give you strength. The Bible says in James 1, 5, anyone who lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. If you need wisdom today, God's promised to give you wisdom when you ask him. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. No matter what you're facing, what you're going through, God will be with you. And on and on we could go. We find God's promises in his word. If you don't know what his promises are, I encourage you to open your Bible. Open your Bible and start reading. Get a Bible reading plan. Get an app, the Bible app, the Bible reading plans. Start reading and understand what has God said and what has he promised to me. We have to know what his promises are in order to embrace them. Number five, he exposed his powerlessness. He exposed his powerlessness. This is verses 12 and 13. Who here would say that I'm a little bit of a control freak? Who would admit to that? David, thank you. That you are or that I am? <laughs> That's a good question. I'm glad you know me so well. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes. No, no. I, I mean, I was answering for myself. Yeah, good. But then I realized. No, no, I was asking you to be honest. Okay. It's a good moment. You share, be honest. Catharsis, cleansing of your soul. I'm a control freak, right? Right. Thank you, Dave. All right. So we, we all can have those tendencies uh, in certain areas, especially. Maybe it's not over everything, but we want to grasp on the control. We want to have that in our lives. And I don't know, it could be down who controls the remote control, right? I change the channels, right? Oh, you like, yeah, let's do the best. Yes. Some people are like, that's my remote. You don't get it, right? Give me the remote. It's my TV. Um, this is my chair. Somebody have their chair, and somebody gets in your spot, get out of my spot. Okay. Mom does that, right? She has her spot. On the couch. Move. On the couch. You sit on it. Yep. She just kicks Move. Off. All right. So she's not here to defend herself. We shouldn't talk too much. All right. So here's the deal. They admit their powerlessness um, in the midst of this. Rather than saying, you know, we can figure this out. You know, we're smart people. They realize, you know, this is too big for us. No matter what we do, we cannot control the situation. He had to let go of the illusion of control that we all like to hold on to. Um, so where in your life do you need to let go of the illusion of control? I'm not talking about abdicating responsibility, because we all have responsibility, but coming to grips with reality that, you know what, in this situation, I'm not really in control could be in our family you know I'm raising kids I, I want to have responsibility and I have a responsibility as a father to raise them but I am not in total control over everything I can't control their decisions I can't control everything and if I do I'm going to mess them up pretty good maybe I've already done that I don't know but you know I got to realize that I am not in control I have a responsibility but God is in control he's the one that's going to lead them I have to trust him um, maybe it's in a, in a work or career situation. We want to make it so like the path we want. But often in our lives, we, find, we figure out, you know, the path I envision is not the path I end up taking. How I planned it out is not how it ends up working. And I want it to be this way, but it's not. We have to let go of that illusion of control. Maybe it's in our, our marriage or our relationships um, where we want to fix things, and we can't fix another human. You know, we can barely fix ourselves, right? So how are we going to fix them? We have to understand I'm not going to control that person because I can't. 
It's only going to mess things up. I'm going to give that person to God. So we have to let go of that illusion of control. And they did this. He says in verse 12, O God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love this verse. I put that on the top of the notes here. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. In our lives, we, many times we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on him. It says, all the men of Judah and their wives and children and the little ones stood before them and stood there before the Lord. So he exposed his power. Number, th- number six, he enlisted his protection. He enlisted his protection, verses 14 to 17. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of, remember I told you when you say names, you just say them. You just say them. You don't know how they're pronounced. You just say the names, so I'm just saying them. The son of Mataniah, a Levite, descendant of Asa, he stood in the assembly. Listen, King Josaphat, all of you who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Not be afraid or discouraged because of this past army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Listen to these things. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge of the desert of Jeriel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, for the Lord will be with you. Look at all these phrases. The battle is not yours, but the Lord. Listen to that. Hear that today for your life. You will not have to fight this battle. Stand firm. Be still. Many times we try to do too much. We try to fix it all ourselves, but we need to stand firm and be still. Let God be God. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The Lord is with you. How do you get to this place of protection? You have to first give that battle to God. You have to change the way you approach it. Number seven, we're almost there. He expressed his praise. He expressed his praise. And he did this, and you'll see in your notes, in preparation and in the process. It says right after this, Jehoshaphat, when he heard these words, uh, encouraging words, he bowed down with his face to the ground. All the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped the Lord. And some of the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So even though nothing had happened other than a promise, they began to praise God. Their situation hadn't technically changed. This, this army was still coming. Nothing had changed in, in, in the earthly realm. But they began to praise God in their life. They began to praise God and say, you know what, we thank you, God, for the victory. This is an important principle in our life. Before God does something, you can praise him. You can praise him before you get there. God, you know, this is still tough in my life. This is a challenge. I'm still struggling with this. But you know what, God, I praise you because I know you have the answer. Because you will lead me through. This is important. They praise God in preparation for the victory. And it says this, 20. Early in the morning, they left the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and all the people of Israel. Have faith in the Lord your God, and the people will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you'll be successful. After consoling the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir and destroyed and annihilated them. They just started fighting each other. Rather than fighting Judah, they started just destroying one another. And when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert, they looked toward the vast army and they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. That's pretty, pretty messed up. All these people died, but 
in, in reality in our lives. God fights the victories for us. God will, if we allow him, fight these battles for us and give us the victory. They praise God as they win. They praise before they went. They, they praise God as they went, and God fought the battle. In the process, in your life, each and every day, if you can figure out a way to thank God for what he's done, to be grateful, to give him praise, you will find that the things you're facing become smaller and smaller. What, why? Because you'll get your focus off of the battle, and you'll get your focus onto him. You may be facing something today, you're like, man, this is so huge. That's all I can think about. We were, we were talking with a guy this week, and he was just um, going, oh, man, this, this relationship has really been dragging me down, and, and on and on and on. And just consume with the battle. And, and, and when you're consumed with the battle, you can't get your eyes on God. But when you get your eyes on God, the battle gets smaller, and God gets bigger. And somehow, way, God begins to work in that situation and bring you through. They are praising God, looking to him. He's the one that's going to solve the problem, and God did as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set the ambushes. So finally this, he's, he experienced, number eight, God's provision. He experienced, he experienced God's provision. Verses 25 and 26 say, So Jehoshaphat and his men went out, went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing, also articles of value more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. <coughs> On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. They praised again. This is why they call it the Valley of Baraka to this day. Valley of Baraka. Baraka means in, in that language, praise. So a valley that could have been a valley of slaughter, a defeat, um, became a valley of praise because all the way through, in preparation, in the process, and in the victory, they praised God. They got their eyes onto Him. And they were blessed as a result. What could have been their destruction ended up being their blessing. What could have brought them down ended up being the blessing that God provided in their life. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know your situations, but very often we will face battles that are too big for us. However you want to frame it, look at your own life. There's stuff that we get into, like this is bigger than me. And if we try to always come up with our own solution, you just might be like Asa, the, the dad of Jehoshaphat, who tries to solve everything himself, and deplenishes all the resources and ends up sick for two years and ends up dying. You may just find that your solutions aren't going to be the answer. But when we, when we turn it and go a new way, we find a new process, a new way of approach, which is, God, I give you this. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. This is, this is tough. I don't, this battle, this situation I'm going through, I don't know what to do, but I give it to you. God, help me. Help me make it through this. Give me wisdom. Give me direction. When we change our approach and call on God, he will help fight our battles for us. It starts, interestingly, by recognizing our own powerlessness. Instead of trying to be the one that's in control, I got this, I'm, I'm the man, I'm the woman. I, you know what, I don't have this. I need some help. I need the Lord. I need, I need somebody else in my life. Like we said last week, we need other people in our lives. So I need some good friends that can give me some some guidance. I need somebody that's going to point me in the right direction. I need someone to lift up my hands when I'm weak. It's interesting that if you've ever uh, heard of, you know, the steps, 12-step program, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and so forth, um, that this is how they begin. Recognize your own powerlessness if you want to change in your life. And this is, this is in the Bible. This is biblical. This is what God would say. 
You know, we all have situations where we have to turn to our creator. He's able to help us, whether it's cancer. You know, Joyce is facing cancer. You know, we can't beat cancer on our own now. You may fight it, but we need God. We need God to help us. Uh, depression. You may be here and feel, you know, I'm always feeling down. You know, I'm always feeling we can get help. We can get some counseling. We can get all of that. But we need the Lord to help us. Maybe you're here and you feel worthless. You feel like, you know, I don't even know if anybody loves me or cares about me. Um, and I just don't know what to do. Well, God loves you. He cares about you. Maybe you're facing financial struggle and hardship. You're drowning in debt. You can work your way through that and struggle with it. Or you can say, God, I give this to you, Lord. Show me the path through this. Maybe you have aimlessness, no direction in your life. You're here this morning. You're like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I'm here today. I might get lunch. I don't know in general what I'm doing in my life. God can give you direction. He can give you a sense of, of a purpose in your life. You may have patterns and cycles and addictions that you're facing. That everything you've always done leads you back to the same place. Your approaches always lead you back to the same spot. And you need to take a different approach. Because God has a new path forward for you. In relationships that may seem complicated and we don't know what to do. We turn to the Lord and we give up control and say, God, I can't fix this, but I know that you are able. If, if Jarrell and David, if you guys would come. As we just wrap this up this morning, you know, we... Uh, to start give, giving, the process of starting to give it to God starts with worship. Starts with, he gathered the people together. Jehoshaphat gathered all the people and said, you know what? We got to turn to the Lord. We don't have the answer. And so it starts with getting our eyes off of our situation, getting our eyes on to him. And saying, God, you are the one that's able. You're the holy, awesome, righteous, powerful, living God. You, you love us and you rule the universe and you are able. You've shown yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. You've shown us what love is. You've shown us how much you care for us by dying on the cross in our place for our sins. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, if you're facing a battle this morning, I encourage you to give it to God. You may be here and say, you know, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. If you've been living in your own strength and power, today's a day to start a new approach. You may be a believer and you say, you know, I believe in God, but everything you do always is in your own strength. You always try to figure it out on your own. And maybe today's a, a day to start a new approach. Say, God, I, I want to start trusting you more in my life. Every situation, everything I face, I want to trust you. I want to look to you first. Corey Tim Boom is the author of The Hiding Place. He's a survivor of German concentration camps. Um, very, very cool person. Um, people used to come up to to her and say, Corey, what a, what a great faith you must have to make it through this and, and, and survive and do all these things. She said, no, 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 what, what a great God I have. She realized, you know what, you, you don't always have the greatest faith. Sometimes our faith is, is small and struggles. Uh, the Bible says all you need is the faith of a mustard seed. You don't have to have the greatest faith. You just have to put that little faith you have in the great God that we have. And God will come through. Whether your faith is very small this morning or whether it's, it's big, God is the one that's going to come through in your situation. So I encourage you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we conclude this morning. If you're here today and you can say, you know what, um, you know, Pastor Sheldon, I'm, I'm, I'm facing a battle in my life. Um, right now it's, it's something I'm dealing with. I can identify it. And I, I want to come to a place this morning and say, you know what, this battle is, is too big for me. And, and I'm not going to keep fighting in my own strength anymore. 
but I want to call on God and I want to ask him to help me. If that's you today, if that's you, would you just lift your hand uh, right, right here in this place? We're not going to embarrass you or anything or call you out. Just as a, as it's a response to him. If you say, you know, I'm facing some things in my life that I want to, I want to put them in God's hands. I don't want to face him in my own strength. I want to put them in God's hands. I don't want to just go through it my, my own ability, my own way, but I, I want to give that thing to God this morning. Thank you. There's, there's quite a few of us here. You can put your hand back down. What we're going to do to conclude is we're going to have one more song. And during that song, if you raised your hand, <coughs> would you just go ahead and do that right where you are? In your own words, in your own way, say, you know, Lord Jesus, I give you this, whatever it is. I need your help. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Give me wisdom. Would you work this out in your way, in your time? I trust you. We'll give you some space to do that. As we, we just do one more song and we'll be done today. Would you spend time doing that? And if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you don't have a relationship with him, this would be a time where you could call on his name, maybe for the very first time, or maybe you kind of walked away from him. And you, you're not really serving him. You're not really in relationship with him. But right now in this, this little moment, you can say, Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I, I want to start following you with my life. Maybe the biggest battle is that I, I'm doing all of my life on my own. I'm doing everything. I'm not even really in a relationship with you at all. And I need you, God, to come and save me today. Come and give me new life. Come and give me a new direction. So you could do that right in this moment. Just pray a prayer and ask God to come and fill you with his spirit. Come and fill you with life. 